first, one brief announcement. I just wanted to mention for those who have asked that absolutely nothing whatsoever happened today in sector 83 by 9 by 12. I repeat, nothing happened. Please remain calm. I don't know how they see out of them anyway. Tiny, beady, squinty little things, aren't they? Ambassador! No, the maker has not been kind to you. Must be terrible trying to fly at night without running into entire planets. Are you saying the Centauri do not know what ships are patrolling their borders? Oh, of course we know. The Maker has gifted us with great big eyes and great big scanners and great big... Uh... Well, that is no concern of yours. Look, isn't there someone else you can go and harass? My life is already so full of joy as it is. Delenn does not walk in the same world that you and I walk in. She does not see the same. In her world, we are better than we are. We care more than we care. We act towards each other with compassion. I much prefer her world to that of my own, and I will not allow anything to threaten that. When civil war erupts on Minbar, our civilization will be destroyed. Dylan's fate will be sealed. This ship cannot be allowed to reach home. On an all-new Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. podcast land welcome to the number two tv review podcast in the republic of korea gray 17 a babylon 5 podcast yes uh to our korean brethren thanks for listening we're almost to number one almost i'm scott and with me is emily mike Kevin, and zooty zoot zoot this is justin Ah, now you know where my (laughs) sensors come whenever i take your guys's fear f words out That, that actually seemed like a new way to say suck it. Because <laughs> they like lifted <laughs> their leg. Lifted yeah. the leg and all that. Zoot. 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 Like, Zooty zoot zoot. Now when you go back, Emily and Justin, you listen to some of the stuff I had to censure over the t- uh, past year and a half. It was a zoot every time, but enjoy. Nice. You think I'm um, going to go back and listen to us? <sighs> I think you will. Just to find out how much we made fun of you and Beyond the Rim. True. No, I don't want to know because that might ruin a friendship. I do. I can't. That wait. would ruin the friendship. Nothing else that we've done. <laughs> so speaking of which, you, you said what number one in Korea? Number two. We number are number two. two. God, I hope it's no one in the north because we're not worth getting. No, shot it, over. it is the Republic of Korea. It is not North Korea. <laughs> like we're not worth. I don't think they get a lot of American podcasts. And, uh, uh, there was no. Well, there was a news story that two kids got sentenced to like twelve years of hard labor for watching tv that they weren't supposed to so north korea is the one who will actually sentence you and then your next generation to 
to work. Mm-hmm. I, the one guy got sentenced to what five generations of penal colony work or something like that. Yeah, isn't that great? We just <laughs> we just do that quietly here in the U.S. That's true. We call that the working poor, but it's the same idea. I haven't even said what we're talking about today, so we're here <laughs> today. <Class> warfare, anyway. <laughs> kind of, actually, yes. Yeah, actually, that is on topic. <laughs> so we're here today to talk about season four, episode thirteen. So, guys, we are now halfway through the ep- uh, season four, and we're here to talk about rumors, bargains, and lies. So we're missing a few folks tonight, but we're going to roll with our two newbies and three uh, first ones. And before we get started, a reminder to click all the links down below in our description. We have our uh, social media accounts on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We also have our Patreon. If you join our Patreon at any level, you get access to our Discord page, which um, now has been talking about... Um, I, don't know, just, I haven't looked at a couple of days, so I don't know what they're talking about, but I'm sure it's funny. I think they were talking about Nicole's horniness a few weeks ago. I know that for a fact. And then also, if you go at the uh, largest level on our Patreon, you get entered into our Grey Council, which are listed as our producers, and they are listed in our show notes below. Thank you very much to our producers. If you are watching on YouTube, please be sure to like, subscribe, and follow, and please leave a comment as well. The algorithm on YouTube has not been our friend lately. We've seen a big drop-off in views, and that's because it is not sending out videos to our subscribers. So if you're not finding our videos on YouTube and you think you should be, click that notify button. That way you get notified every single time we put a video out. And again, if you can like, subscribe, and comment, that really does help us get past that algorithm monster and gets out to the people that we want to uh, see our stuff. And if you're listening, again, like, follow, subscribe, whatever your podcast app does. And please, please, please leave a review on your app of choice. And if you can, leave us an Apple review. That really does help. And we got another one in. This one comes from Rit Akaba. Rit Akaba, I think, is how I pronounce that. From Australia. And it is, love this. I am a longtime fan and multiple watcher of Babylon 5, and I always looking for B5 podcasts and finally found the perfect one. With the first-time watchers, discussion bringing their individual perspectives is so entertaining. The long-time watchers discussing the entire series and Beyond the Rim segment have actually helped me truly appreciate the entire series and all those little things I have missed along the way. Well done to everyone. Well, thank you, Rit Akaba. Okay, guys, we'll go ahead and dive in to rumors, bargains, and lies. And I believe Emily has a synopsis for us. Yep. So Sheridan does some interesting little mindfuckery with the League of Non-Aligned Worlds. So they will accept his proposed defense pact. And then Shitbag Naroon shows up and is a shitbag. As I was discussing with Emily before we started recording, you expected Naroon to show up and not be a douchebag? Really? Did not. Really? Okay. Let's go into our first impressions with our two newbies we have tonight. So we'll go over to Justin first. First impressions, Justin, bring out that notebook. I I know I should be crazy about how Sheridan acted in this episode. I'm not liking it. I know we have a lot of shitty fuckery going on at times, but the way Sheridan kind of handled this whole thing, I was kind of uneasy about it. And um, kind of, yeah, building an alliance built on deception always goes well. I love the Londo scenes in this with his interactions with Sheridan and the Drazi. I want to know more about this Rebo and Zudi team because that kind of caught my eye right off the bat. But also, I love Londo's expl- explanation about how just in the Centauri, everything's huge. 
that was a lot of fun. And honestly, I did fall for Neroon's charms in this episode. Like when he when he first came in, I was like, oh boy, here we go. You know, he's the villain that you hate to hate. And I was like, okay, maybe he's coming around. And I'm like, well, maybe I've kind of misjudged him. Maybe he's okay. And then boy, was I fucking duped. Anyway, that's all I've got for now. And Emily, first impressions. It was all right. <laughs> I liked Lanier. Like, Lanier is being badass Lanier. Overheard, you know, the shitty religious cast trying to sabotage Dylan. And, you know, I didn't expect Naroon to not be a dick, so that wasn't really surprising. And I gotta agree with Justin. I just wasn't feeling Sheridan's little mind fuck with the uh, League of Non-Aligned Worlds. I don't... I can't even pinpoint why it was weird, but I just, I wasn't feeling it. Emily's a big fan of season four, guys. You can tell. It's great. Yeah, I thought you said season four is going to be better for me, and I'm uh, waiting. Well, I can't control your feelings, ma'am. I can't. I can't either. (laughs) Well, I I wasn't going to say that, but it's kind of what I was referring to. Okay, let's go over to our first ones who have watched the entire series and get their first impressions. Mike. Uh, Nicole accused me of not being able to control my feelings um this episode um i liked it i really enjoyed the the plot aboard the minbari uh, well aboard the white star with uh um, you, you were right the first time that was a cruiser it wasn't a white star you're right it was a cruiser and, and i always love episodes that featured Nerun. he's he's like the sort of i don't even call him a villain like i look at bester like he's definitely a villain i look at Nerun like a bit of an anti-hero and I kind of enjoy his, uh, I, well, I really enjoy his scenes in these in the show. So, you know, and the thing with Sheridan, I, I have to agree with the others. It, um, you know, we'll talk more about it. But I, overall, while I have misgivings about it, it, it ultimately kind of sparked joy, as they say. So, um, yeah, overall, I mean, I think this episode was, was a pretty big win uh, for me. And from the standpoint of just being enjoyable television if not moving the needle on the whole series. Kevin. I like this episode. It It's highly rated. I don't know that I would rate it as high as the IMDb rating of 8.0, but um, it's a good one. I guess uh, hot take. I don't have a problem with the way Sheridan handled that problem. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Everything is a slog with the League of Non-Aligned Worlds, and he found a shortcut. And I just don't have a problem with it because it was to their benefit anyway. So we can we can talk about that. I always love when John Vickery is here as Nerun. He is far and away my second favorite guest star because uh, I'm I'm gonna give the top to Walter Koenig, but uh, John Vickery is is the shit. So I like that whole storyline. Man, Lanier really, really in this one has a great, great storyline. Delenn's great in this. So this is this is a good episode. I think we can just say Walter's on the main cast and go with it, because even though he's not in the credits, when he shows up, it's, you know, he's just there. He's coming home. Yep. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. So I am the one who dogs on Sheridan a lot when it comes to him devising plans and taking weeks to do it. So I did appreciate that we got to see this whole plan being worked out and basically a breakfast and uh, also got to see everyone make fun of him while he was doing it. So I think that was more in line with the whole strategic mind that Sheridan's supposed to have than some of the other stuff we've had recently. And I will definitely talk about how he gets to where he gets there. But yeah, this episode, it's rated an 8.33 with the P5 score lurkers. So around the same as IMDb. So it's definitely in the top third 
uh, in terms of rankings. Uh, I, I don't know where I would throw it in there, but uh, it's it's not a bad episode. It's also not one of the ones that I'm going to run out and watch all the time. But I do, as you guys have said, I do like what happens on the uh, Mimbari ship with Nehrun, Delenn, the religious cast, the warrior cast, all of that is really great. Um, just kind of world building for us because we haven't heard much from Mimbar in a while and obviously there's some stuff going down. So let's go ahead and start talking about the episode in full and let's do the B5 Sheridan stuff first and then we'll do the Delenn stuff. So what do you guys want to talk about with Sheridan, B5 and all of that? Justin. I guess I'm looking forward to hearing Kevin's take on this because it was just the whole kind of thing with him is I understand why Sheridan was doing what he was doing, but it was just cringy to watch for me. I, it, because it's the whole wag the dog situation. You know what I mean? Like you, you're, you're kind of creating this false narrative in order to kind of get what you want out of people. And it just, I, again, I get why he did it because yes, I 100% agree. The league of non-aligned worlds can be nearly impossible to work with, but at the same time, I guess desperate times call for desperate measures, but it was, and maybe I'll be, you know, be able to change my mind as the series progresses, but it was just kind of rough to see Sheridan take those kind of deceptive tactics because it just seemed kind of out of character, I guess, for him. But I get then why he was kind of laughing to himself and enjoying himself during breakfast about pulling this whole thing off. Emily? I think why it bothered me so much is because he seemed too perky about it. Like, I don't know, it was oddly chipper for something that's supposed to be manipulative and, like, kind of underhanded. And to me, it was just portrayed as a little too... Yeah, I can't think of a different word than perky. Very proud of himself. Perky. Yeah, just, like, chipper and happy, and I'm like, really? We're gonna gonna be excited about this kind of manipulation? A little concerned about you, dude. Then you're gonna be concerned about me, too, because I don't see this as bad at all. I think this is completely what you do in international affairs right now, let alone uh, in this time period. They, he did not put anyone at risk. He did not force anyone to do anything. All he did was he set up a narrative and let them fall into whatever decisions they would have. And at the end of the episode, when he gets in the elevator and screams yes, it, well, it could may not have worked. The not a lot of words may well, worlds may have just said, oh, they're okay. Well, you guys are messing around with white stars, whatever. We're going to deal with our own stuff. And he's still at square one. So I don't see it as anything terrible. Did he manipulate them into making a decision? Kinda, but he gave them the choice. They weren't forced into it. This isn't like a Clark regime where if you don't do what we have to say, we're going to invade you. So I think we're, I, I think in this case, you guys are trying to be, offended when i don't see offense at all kevin i it's a scary situation when i disagree with justin and agree with scott i don't know what's going on (laughs) dogs and cats living together you know but hey it happens occasionally you can't say that without finishing mass hysteria yeah mass hysteria okay sure but you know he he like you said he put no he didn't put anyone at risk it's not like uh, they were shooting at each other when when all was said and done. Yeah, and and as you point out, Scott, this is this is how international politics works. Do you think Erdogan in Turkey did did that uh, stuff with the UN because he was a nice guy? No, it's because he got stuff out of it. So um, 
I, I just I, I'm I'm not finding the problem with this one. I'm sorry. I just I don't have a problem with it. I don't know about comparing Sheridan to Erdogan. Just <laughs> hey, but, it's a deep cut. I mean, it's a deep cut. It's, it's you got you got to know what's going on with the UN because he's not a good dude. <laughs> NATO. I should have said NATO, not UN. The same idea. Sorry. Mike, what do you got? I objectively have the same problem, and I mean, I don't, I don't think it's being overly sensitive. I mean, he deceived everybody. He very deliberately made a deception, and yes, they made their own decisions, but they did so based on a false narrative that he put out. And so it feels icky. Now, is that the way international politics works? Yes, absolutely, 100%. It's realistic. That's what makes B5 great. But still, it, it doesn't feel very good from the outside looking in. And But I got to say, the thing about it that the thing about it that bugs me the most is not even like that it's a deception and all this and that it's I actually it really bothered me that Sheridan didn't clue the rest of his own staff in on what he was doing I mean I guess they probably kind of figured it out as he went to each of them and gave them their little role in his play but like just the whole I don't know it, it was really goofy the way that he was portrayed you know giggling to himself in the corner and being this evil mastermind and then like keeping everybody deliberately in the dark over to be honest something that could have gone down rather seriously um so yeah I don't know that that's I guess my two cents on it Justin I guess maybe at the end of the day he didn't include anybody because if it all did go south and go bad everyone else would have plausible deniability. And maybe then he would just shoulder the whole blame himself. But yeah, even though, even though, yeah, it's, he acted shady. And yes, I realized that, you know, when you're playing the game of international relations, you have to have kind of everything can't be a zero sum, you know, outcome, but it just, it just also infuriates me. Here we go again with Scott and Kevin having, having, you know, airtight logic in their arguments, you know, Jesus Christ, but I get it. I, I mean, I get the rationale behind it. It still just kind of made me uneasy to watch it. But, you know, the end justifies the means, as we know all too well. Well, and Justin, I was going to make that point, too, real quick, is with B5, that kind of is the narrative sometimes. It's more realistic than some other sci-fi. So in other sci-fi shows like Trek, it'd be the mean, the ends don't justify the means, and we have to question the means all the time. But in B5, it's like, look, we are in a place where we are still dealing with a lot of trouble after the shadows. Obviously, Earth is a problem, and it's going to continue to be a problem. The Nine Line Worlds were beat to shit by the shadows and themselves. How do I get this galaxy or this sector of the galaxy to not be a shithole? One, everyone has to work together. So, yeah, that's where we're at. I don't have to like it to understand it. So that's where I'll fall into that. Kevin. Yeah, that was the point I was going to make, too. They got a lot of bigger fish to fry. And they can't be spending time every time they go to the League of Non-Aligned Worlds, you know, working with them, slogging through, trying to get basic uh, agreement out of them for stuff. So, yeah, did he manipulate them? Sure. But I just don't have a problem with it. What I was going to mention about the behind the scenes with this is JMS wrote this this part of the episode because he wanted to balance it, you know, with some levity with when the other side was a much more serious uh, part of the episode. 
and box lightner went to him at one point he's like this this is coming off really silly it's like yeah that's the way i want it i want it to be like that it's like, oh okay but i think i think box lightner ended up liking it in the end but he was a little slightly uncomfortable with how uh completely silly it was but it it maybe it went slightly too far per, perhaps but um you know the the other stuff is interesting and it's certainly a, a you know a fun philosophical discussion about you know what what uh is allowable in in politics but you know as as dirty as human politics are this i mean this isn't even on the richter scale mike well philosophical is right because i'm gonna go ahead and be the devil's advocate and say this is the same kind of shit we drug franklin for it's sheridan asserting that he knows what's best for someone else in this case the league of non-aligned worlds now maybe he does but he is duping them into his protection plan because he thinks it's what's best for them man you're stretching pretty pretty thin someone's gonna <laughs> call us out on i don't bring it up okay manipulating somebody under your medical practice versus hey let's try to protect your asses when you're I'm being a, stupid i'm gonna go ahead and just disregard your religion because i know better <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and take away your sovereignty and force you into this military decision. But everything you just said there is the point, though, I think. Take away. Force. Yeah. He didn't take anything away. He didn't, that, he didn't right. put their fleets at risk. He didn't take any of their fleets yeah, away. He didn't I take really, away protection. I really wish Jesse and Nicole were here right now because I feel like they would <laughs> oh, have I, back on I, this. I have a feeling Jesse would be 100% with Kevin and I. I have a I feel. think so, too. Oh, I think so? I yeah. do. I do. He seems like an ends justify the means type I, of thing to me. But I would actually guessing. would agree with that. I think Nicole would have been on okay. uh, signing up with us, Mike, I and then agree. I think Jesse would have been with them. We'll have to find out. We'll have to but, talk about yeah. But I, I absolutely do get where you guys are coming from, 100%. I just, in the grand scheme of things, it is, on, on the Franklin Richter scale, it is a 1 <laughs> rather than a 10. <laughs> I, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I think I am in the camp that mostly I'm okay with how it went down, but I get why other people, and why, to some degree, even I look at how it transpires, and I'm like, ugh, that, that, that's shady, that's not good, you know, but... Um, yeah, Kevin, I, I will say one, one thing in, in the defense of the other side is that when Londo's like, are you sure? I don't think it's great. You, you really shouldn't be on Londo's side when you're talking about ph philosophy and, uh, uh, right makes, uh, might makes right type stuff because he's not exactly the shining beacon of, uh, it, I, no one was in danger and they they did what was in their best interest whether they understood the the reasons for it totally or not emily so I, the word i was actually looking for was giddy not perky my brain just was slow to register wow. that's all and, and i think the remark about it being silly from box lightner was 100 percent spot on too because like i said before my biggest problem with this whole thing is that he doesn't tell the other staff and that his personal way that he's been directed to act it out is is silly it's awkward. it doesn't it doesn't feel good <laughs> when when this is kind of an otherwise pretty you know serious thing that they're doing so it's I a get... very lighthearted take on a very serious diplomatic coup. perfect yeah, yeah. <laughs> well said I, I, uh, we've all discussed and kevin you mentioned the behind the scenes stuff i i see this as we have had a lot of kind of dark and dreary times with sheridan since his like you know 
<laughs> rising from the dead. And I think this is kind of a reprieve to where we kind of get the the relaxed Sheridan. He gets to have a moment where everything works because at the end of the episode, he learns that we don't know what's happening with Mimbar and Delenn's heading that way. So his little reprieve of being able to be perky, giddy, whatever, is only for a day and then it's gone. So I'm okay with giving him this little bit. I thought it was funny, the Ivanova bit, um, especially the way that she delivered it. I mean, she she talked, um, Claudia Christian talked behind the scenes about how she really took, you know, her direction from, you know, the Dan Rathers and Walter Cronkite, you know, uh, ilk, because uh, they actually had her read from a teleprompter. She she memorized some of the lines, but she read a lot of it from a teleprompter so that it would seem genuine as a newscaster. And that's how they told her to to deliver it. But I, I thought the bit with her was pretty funny. Uh, it's like nothing, absolutely nothing happened in sector eight by nine by 12 or whatever it was. And that was that was a pretty that was a pretty good joke the way they did that now the stuff in the in the mess hall at the beginning that was a little far i think yeah i mean the way they they had him act that out again i don't want to beat a dead horse too much but somebody else said something about uh he kept everyone in the dark so he'd give them a counter uh what was it plausible deniability about it i'm like yeah i don't think when he was giggling over his cornflakes he was really thinking that that far ahead uh, my my theory on that is he didn't involve people because his, that plan was so convoluted it needed everything to go right. And the more people involved in the plan, the more people who understand it, uh, you know, loose lips sink ships. So I think he wanted to keep this really close to the vest. So uh, it worked out. And again, I nine times out of 10, this could have gone somewhere else. Uh, I don't think it could have become like a problem per se, but they could have just said, screw it. This isn't our fleet. Do what you want. We're just going to continue to rebuild our fleets and have a nice day. I mean, and I think if they had found out that he was deliberately screwing with all of them, that probably would have hurt their chances of figuring it out later, too. Justin. Well, and then I just wanted to give a shout out to Peter uh, for his couple little. We only had him for a very couple short scenes in this episode, but they're both really good ones. I, too, share Londo's disdain for most of what's country and Western. I don't understand it either. Um. And then, yeah, just his 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 under trying to understand human psychology. And then when he's dealing with the Drazi and just the way he webs a weave of deniability uh, throughout that entire thing where he finally got the Drazi. Oh, so you're telling me that you didn't request the ships? Yeah, that's exactly true, which it is. But, (laughs) you know, and so it's. It's the way he kind of worked out both of those scenes and made himself come out looking like he's completely innocent and the whole thing was was a masterstroke um, by both JMS and then, of course, Peter and his acting. I do wish we had gotten to see the other side of that with Jakar, since mm-hmm. he's also a co-conspirator. Mm-hmm. But, We've yeah. been very Jakar and Londo light in here in the middle of season four, so it's yeah. always nice when they pop where's in. where's Veer? I miss Veer. Veer! Did, did he marry that bitch? I need to know. Part of that, too, if I remember my timelines right, uh, Stephen First was doing some other work during this season, so he's not available to be on the call sheet a lot. I think this is when this happened. So it's not like he's off the show, don't get me wrong, but he's, uh, he's not as available as some of the other actors at the moment, I believe. The one thing, too, I noticed really Justin on the scenes with, uh, with Londo, and I, you, you notice it a lot throughout the episode, but really in those scenes, 
is this is definitely a Michael Vehar production. <laughs> Michael uh, Vehar is the director who always does the weird stuff with the cameras. So in this case, when you're in Londo's quarters the whole time, you're looking through his trinkets and knickknacks on his table. You're looking through. You, it's it's almost like you're a fly on the wall, literally, and that's how the camera's set up, and it stays okay. that way. And I, I find that interesting. Vehar always, he never does like the two shot. He always finds a way to make it weird. And so I do like that uh, they used Vehar for this episode. I should have picked up on that quicker because the one of the first shots in that scene is Londo next to his like portrait and it looks kind of weird next to each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should have I should have picked up on that earlier than I did. There's a couple other ones that uh, they're main directors of the show who do some interesting stuff but yeah i i always go back to the audio guide to babylon 5 which was a podcast long before we were and every time a vehar episode would pop up one of the hosts would go vehar because they loved him so much it's just different it's not your normal tv production well he's he's quite a you know storied television director i mean he's done lots of different shows he's probably the one with the most mm-hmm uh well actually not not even probably i would say definitely is they're the one with the most experience of the main directors and up until uh the road home which came out last year he was the last director of a b5 project and we may or may not talk about that (laughs) as we get closer to the end of the show maybe not we'll see anything else you guys want to talk about with sheridan Londo, B5, Ivanova, any of that. I do like that uh, you guys, some of you, I think Emily, you were the one. Is this voice of the resistance thing actually going to work or are they going to screw it up? Today it worked. It worked. Nothing happened in section blah, blah, blah. Emily's not even going to chime in on that. She's just going to ignore me. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> just because it works today doesn't mean it'll work tomorrow. You know how that goes. <laughs> There's those trust issues. Okay. Speaking of Emily and trust issues, let's move over to Delenn's storyline. Yes. Delenn is racing towards Mimbar to save her planet from a civil war where I guess the destruction to the cities is just turning the lights out. I guess I didn't see much <laughs> destruction there, but okay. What do you guys want to talk about? and stuff, and they're well, no, carrying other people. Were they? That, that was the other scene. So that was the scene at kind of almost towards the end where they actually had okay. a full shot and they had people running around. But yeah. what I'm talking about is when they're going, before they even Nehrun shows up, her, she's w- looking at like file footage of what's happening. And literally, it's just the city with the lights turned out. I was going to say they were like people carrying other people, but like there was nothing else about the city that looked off of like yeah. the Panera Bread close early. What's going on? <laughs> right. There was some smoke in the one there. But then Lanier's like, oh, so much destruction. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Okay. I, I guess oh, I no, missed the whole before because I wasn't seeing destruction everywhere, but okay. Okay. I guess I misunderstood the kind of that whole scene then because I thought she was maybe just looking at older stock footage of like when you pull up and, and look at a picture of Chicago in the background and go, that's a nice looking city. I remember that's what going I started to, to wonder too. Yeah, and no, it's. So, that's what I thought was like, I didn't think it was live. I thought she was just, this is the city I remember. And she was just looking at it very sad and stuff like that. Like, I didn't think it was a live shot that she was looking at. I can see you thinking that because that was the worst little set piece they could have ever used for that. 
Yeah. But, but she does say that she's she's getting this stuff. I don't think she used the word live, but she's getting this feed. She's watching it. Okay. And then when they're done with the conversation, Lanier talks about the destruction to their cities. And then later it used on... to be a beautiful city. Exactly. Like that. Yeah. And then later on, there is an insert shot where Kevin's talking about where you see smoke in the distance and people running across the sound stage. I remember that stage. one. Yeah. Yeah. But this first one is just like, literally the lights are turned off. That's it. Man. Man. I have to wonder, like, if that's what they think of the city looking horrible. Like, has a Minbari ever been to Chicago? <laughs> My favorite like, city. I saw a dude take a shit in the middle of the street at like noon on a Friday. So... You should stop hanging out with Kevin. Stop that. <laughs> what happens on the red line stays on the red line. Oh, okay? that's true. That's very true. <laughs> okay. What do we got else, guys? Uh, Emily, you've been dogging my buddy Naroon for a while now. Let's talk about Naroon. Oh, uh, do we have to? No. Yes. Um, the actor who plays him does a fantastic job. I will absolutely say that because he plays it so well that my hatred for his character runs way too deep for someone on a TV show. Like, it is actually unhealthy how much I dislike Naroon. Maybe. Man. There's it might so actually many, be fully healthy and deserved. So many other shows you need to watch then. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Justin. Yeah, I mean, I agree 100% agree with Emily. Like that, God, Naroon, he's a character you love to hate, man. Like he's he's a character I actually enjoy watching as opposed to Emily. Like I like it when he's on screen just because he stirs all of these emotions within you. Like when... And I, I rode the roller coaster, man. I rode the dragon when I came to Naroon in this episode because, you know, when he first came on screen, I'm like, oh boy, here's this, here's this dick munch again. And so I was like very anti Naroon. Nom, nom, and nom. then nom nom nom. Captain and Dick Munch and his warrior cast. Yeah. You know, and uh He you let know, Marcus live. Why does everybody hate him so much? And, and he let Delin live. Bobbering sounds you want to, but um, <laughs> but anywho, uh Oh, here we go. Here's the train. Choo-choo. Anyway, okay, right. choo-choo. Chug-chug, motherfuckers. Um, getting back on it. So then 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 he actually looked like he was gonna work with her. And I'm like, okay. And even like when when um when Delin was telling him, I've questioned your wisdom, I've questioned your motives, I've questioned everything, but I've never questioned your loyalty. And almost like they're framing it to where yes he does maybe have a very different way of viewing the world probably a lot more pragmatically than than delen does so you may disagree with his thoughts and actions and everything like that but i guess you cannot say that he's disloyal to his people and he's acting in the best interest of his people just like but then again, people like General Zod can make the same claim. They're they're they may have a very warped way of looking at things, but in their mind, they're working in the best interest of the, of their people. And then so I'm like, okay, you know what? Maybe he's coming around. Maybe I can actually start to kind of appreciate this guy. And then at the very end, he screws me over and <laughs> says, "Well, mission accomplished." I'm like, he just went there to fuck everything up and secure. Uh, a warrior cast victory and so the discord among the religious cast and i'm like you motherfucker like 
So it just makes that character a lot more powerful because now I can't wait. Just like he's he's up there with Cartagena with me now. I cannot wait to see him get his end. It's amazing too. Like it didn't take much, did it? Like he shows up and then the religious cast is like, okay, let's blow up the ship and kill us all. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sorry, poison the ship and kill us all. I was like, and then and then and then Lanier like saves face for everybody and his explanation. And I guess that's why. What is it, Emily or somebody made a comment about how like this is a very very strong Lanier episode yep. because yep. he he saves you know he helps the religious cast save face because saying this will break Delenn if she knew you guys tried to do this this will break her and his explanation kind of makes sense she does kind of have a little bit rose colored glasses on about some things and Lanier's the one that kind of keeps her grounded a little bit and sees things a little bit more pragmatically as they are than she does as much as he even said at the end i wish i could walk in her world that was actually a conversation back in 97 when this came out was the talk about okay it seems like lanier really is the guy who's bridging the gap here he's the one who's really doing all this work and jms pointed out that no lanier is there for that reason because he can see the gray whereas to Delenn, he is the quote-unquote true seeker she's the one who is going for uh, a set path she will not veer from that path she will not change from that path well Lanier can kind of you know dabble and try to keep things in line so it'd be very interesting and Delenn points out in this episode where Delenn would be if she didn't have Lanier by her side well and she even says herself that she's training Lanier the way that Dakot trained her so, like, she's training him to maybe one day be a leader of the Mimbari people, but also at the same time, he's the one kind of like um, in one of the Batman movies, James Gordon says, you know, someone has to stick their hands in the mud so some of us can keep our hands clean. And now we're learning that's kind of Lanier's role in all this. All you need is love and a little bit of Lanier, and then you got peace. You know, where, you know where Lanier would be without Delenn? Riding a Harley somewhere. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Emily, what do you got? What was I going to say? God damn it. I don't know. I lost my train of thought. Thanks, guys. It'll come back to you when you're ready. <sighs> yeah, it was something about Naroon and basically being a shitbag. Um, <laughs> surprise, surprise. No, this one was hard to watch because Lanier is right. Delin is trying to see the best in everyone. And sadly, the best of Naroon is like a veneer for being crappy. Like... I know he's trying to say he's doing what he thinks is best for us people, but it doesn't feel like it. Like, it feels like it's still more about him and what he wants and not about looking at, you know, the Mimbari people as a whole and trying to figure out what would work best for them. It seems very self-centered for him and for just the warrior cast where he's looking out for them and only them and not actually all Minbari. And that really just irritates the hell out of me but it's not surprising i mean he's warrior cast and that's who he's representing so that's who he's gonna look out for it's just frustrating justin i just need to follow up on a point that mike made that i thought was very poignant if lanier's riding a harley i can picture the motorcycle jacket that he's wearing and it says bad to the bone and the patch on the back is the mimbari bone crest okay we need those I jackets like, I, I kind of feel like yeah i'm i'm, go, I'm gonna actually have to crook at that shirt now and see, see how that turns here's out. what you do here's what you do you, you you kind of use sons of anarchy but you say sons of jms and then bad to the bone with a mimbari head bone that's what you do okay sons of the <laughs> all right just cast. you know what i'm writing that i'm writing that sons okay of... that's my next t-shirt design we're gonna make that happen the sons of jms 
The one other thing I liked that, again, just production-wise and how they set this up, uh, and it was probably in the script. I, did, I don't have the script book to look, but I love the fact that Nehrun, when we see them in the long hallway at the very beginning of their interaction, Nehrun is behind his warrior cast, and then Delin is in front of her mm-hmm. religious cast. It just kind of gives you, without saying a word, without getting any kind of internal monologue or whatever, you see how Delin leads, and you see how Nehrun leads, and you see how the warrior cast acts, and you see how the religious cast acts. And I liked how these... That was it really shown without having to say a word. I like that a lot. Who are the true heroes and who are the true cowards when it comes down to it? Potentially, yeah. Or who who trusts their leaders to, you know, be safe those, or those, whatever. Yeah. Those true yeah. heroes that were gonna poison. Yeah, everybody. yeah, that's what I was gonna say, but <laughs> <Wait a minute. laughs> you know, they didn't trust Delenn enough to I, I get what you're saying and I and I, I mostly agree with you, but Come on, like the ones were gonna gas the whole ship. Yeah, twice there was enough stuff in there to kill two ships. Yeah, two ships, and then Lanier lost a lung over it. He is such a selfless guy. Like he, he wasn't about to take any credit for it. He didn't want to talk about it. You know, this is what he does, though. He swoops in when no one can see, does the right thing, and wants no credit. And remember, Delenn says this is the second time I've seen you nearly beat to death yeah and the first time was when he was protecting londo right mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he's kind of like the he's kind of like the galahad of the story yeah comes down to it he's, he keeps protecting people who may not actually deserve protection that's true justin you said he lost a lung the way i read that is mimbari have one lung because she says you lost a part of your lung so i thought we got a little oh, bit of anatomy really? in there too like you know that. how uh yeah uh doctor who has two hearts well i think minbari have one lung so do klingons too i think klingons have two lungs klingons Klingons have two of everything yeah they have redundant including two hearts oh yeah yeah. well centauri's have like 72 dicks (laughs) (laughs) does didn't is there some kind of extended universe stuff where we find out klingons have two penises yes (laughs) family knows (laughs) Or at Emily least wrote that fan Why, why am I not groups? surprised? <laughs> I knew Emily was going to get me there. I don't. I mean, I haven't looked into it that. Oh yeah, huh? I'm sure. Afraid of what my Google searches would start. Not, well, now you're but, thinking about uh, uh, um, Jadzia's and uh, Worf's uh, honeymoon. That's all you can think about. <laughs> I mean, I do have questions, but that's for a different day. <laughs> I totally see Emily's fan fiction being Birds called, and like, the, the Bees a, uh, with, with like Klingons. The, like the Heads of a Klingon is the name of the title. Of it or like <laughs> I've got your house right here. You brought honor. <laughs> okay, moving on. So you guys were talking about trains earlier. I know we're we're moving on. <laughs> we're gonna have a clean episode, I swear. Okay, because oh, because Ke- Kevin's here, so we're gonna move on, even though he didn't say shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what else we got for this uh, part of the episode, if anything? So, did anyone else think it was really out of place that meeting room? with uh Naroon and Delenn like those like comfy like end couch you know like um I don't know almost well the the couches on the wall I guess they looked really too plush Naroon almost looked not comfortable when he was sitting there it just the whole thing seemed off as far as set design goes I thought it I I didn't think it seemed very Minbari to me yeah I guess I didn't pick up on that so much yeah yeah a little too human 
especially when it's a Minbari ship, it wasn't even a White Star. It was definitely the cruiser, like like we were talking about earlier. Yeah, maybe they shot that scene later at like John Vickery's Best Western or something. <laughs> <laughs> we need some pickup shots. Hold on. <laughs> that is, uh, I think, the end of the conversation there. I think unlike some of the plots we've had more recently – where we're down to again an A and a B plot, it seems like they're fairly cut and dry as we're moving forward on the show. The one thing I will say is, uh, I think it was Mike, you said that we really didn't move the plot along too much this episode. And uh, I think we're actually moving at a pretty decent clip now for the last few episodes. Because I do believe that the first part of season four really does kind of spin the wheels a little bit. But I feel now that we, we know what's happening with Minbar. We know that Delenn is going to Minbar. We know that Nerun is doing what Nerun does best. We also know that we're get, we now have the League who says that when the White Stars go somewhere, we're going to with our fleets. We don't know where the White Stars are going yet, but at least we know they got backup. So I think a lot of did happen in this episode, even though... Not a lot of moving chess pieces, but yeah. not a lot of, you know... You got to push making. upon. Yeah, when in doubt, push upon. I do have one more thing about this, which has to do with Mira. She was originally from Yugoslavia and talking about how that part of the world really, you know, had a lot of strife in it around this time, especially. Um, And, you know, her being, you know, one of their their most uh, well-known actresses before she came over here. Um, She really liked the storylines where she got to, you know, push for peace and uh, work towards that kind of thing because it was really very personal for her. And so she really liked it when JMS would would give her that kind of writing. She loved how JMS wrote this storyline. And, you know, others might seem like, you know, others have suggested that's a little bit on the manipulative side because he's writing it for her when she when he knows it's so personal for her. But when she delivers, you know, that type of storyline, man, it, it seems very genuine because it is. She was the type where she didn't obviously agree with the war and she thought it was, you know, terrible. And for the people who were more, you know, pacifistic towards the whole thing, you know, she felt like she didn't have much other choice but to leave she said that people after the war was over it it just nothing was the same between people because you either you know you were on this side you were on that side or you were a pacifist and wanted there to be no war and it it just seemed like everyone was kind of in their silo and she just she was kind of sickened by you know the whole the whole thing so she really uh delivers this type of storyline with a lot of uh feeling and i i thought she did a great job with it justin yeah it's it's interesting that you mentioned that kevin because i about a week or so ago i was reading up some stuff on the Croatian independence movement, and she actually came up um, because at that time, you're right, she was one of the best known actresses in the Croatian community, especially on stage and stuff like that. And she took a lot of hell from people within the independence movement because she still would work with Serbian actors. And even for like the rest of her life after she came over to the U.S., there were still some people who gave her a hard time because they didn't feel like she was nationalistic enough. And it, it's it's very interesting then to kind of see some of this stuff where now in Babylon 5, she's doing kind of the same thing she was trying to do back in Croatia when, when the war was just first getting started. So, yeah, it's a really good point to bring up. Well, and she also married a Serbian director. Mm-hmm. 
you know, so that she was, she, she definitely had ties to, you know, multiple communities there. And so, you know, you talk about having, having different perspectives than others. I mean, um, you know, wanting to sue for peace and not wanting there to be uh, incredibly destructive war um, to, to get, to get to a peaceful place. It's just, it's heart, it's heartbreaking that, uh, she wasn't more respected with you know her views on that kind of thing but it seems like every few years some part of our world is having to learn those lessons and it's uh it's a really awful situation but it is what it is i guess let's go ahead and move into our questions and predictions and again our newbies who we are short of a couple this week so we won't have too many questions predictions but our newbies have not watched past this episode so they're going to give us any questions that they have lingering after watching this episode and then predict for us what they think is going to happen next so let's go to emily first questions and predictions well question number one has Veer's fiance or wife corrupted him like is Veer still Veer, or is that evil bitch destroyed him I gotta know. We haven't seen him in forever. I don't know what's happening with him. I'm worried. She was Mike, horrible. Mike, we got another Emily style question. Veer is nowhere to be seen, but her first question is about Veer. I'm worried about him, okay? He's very sweet and naive, and she is a hag. And then, will Lanier be the one to take out Naroon? Because I feel like he needs to go, and I want to see Lanier do it. I know Minbari don't kill other Minbari, but I feel like Lanier would do that for the benefit of his people. Didn't we learn in this episode that a Mimbari won't kill another Mimbari is kind of more of a regulation than a rule. Yeah. Maybe a term and condition. More like a a guideline. A guideline, yeah. Yeah. Because they they take themselves out when they do it. So it's like a group thing. I don't know. Didn't they actually elaborate on this at some point or did we just talk about it? I want to where a lot of this you know, it has to do with the great council being out of the picture. So the, they kept the, the old peace. Cast, yeah, the old cast wars are back and back with a vengeance, apparently. That rule probably doesn't matter anymore. But either way, I would I feel like that's something Linear would do to save the Lin or the rest of the Membari people because Nurin is terrible. Any predictions, Emily? <sighs> I mean your last question could be a prediction if you wanted to give it a little bit more oomph. <laughs> yeah. I mean it's kind of a question prediction, I guess. But no, that's really it. Okay. And Justin. Oh, Emily, sorry, I cut you off. I miss Veer. Justin. For Emily's sake, can we just get a welfare check on, on Veer, please? <laughs> yes, please. Someone do a make welfare sure he's check. Okay. Just make sure he's okay. Um, now, I have one question. Was the attack on Naroon staged? Or was it actually part of like, or was the attack mm-hmm. legitimate in order for Naroon to kind of sell his kind of undercover bit that he was running. That's that's one thing Good that question. that's one lingering lingering question I had left over from this episode. He did say it was a grazing blow. So Yeah. It wouldn't shock me at all if it was completely staged, but you never know. Prediction number one, uh now that now that Sheridan has what he wants, uh I think this is gonna I think we're starting to see the beginning of the fleet that he's gonna assemble to go against Clark. And I think this is kind of the beginning steps of him putting together because even now that the amount of line worlds are signed on wherever the fleet needs us we'll go we'll follow it's just going to be a matter of time before he starts thinking about making a move against clark militarily leading into that prediction number two it, it's going to be weird to see but we're going to be seeing centauri and narn fight side by side as member of sheridan's fleet against clark and that's going to be a very awkward situation of them having to fight together 
against something. And then three, I have a bad feeling the warrior cast is going to win the Mimbari Civil War. Something's going to happen. The warrior cast is going to win, and it's going to result in something like because the religious cast is going to blame Dolin for trusting Narun in the first place. So, like, they're going to excommunicate her. Narun or whoever's ruling Minbar for the warrior cast is going to basically exile her. And that's going to cause Lanier to have to be kind of self-imposed exile as well out of the result of this whole thing. And I don't know what's going to happen after that, but if it ever gets resolved, I don't I don't know. But it's going to be a situation to where Dolin and Lanier are going to be on their own for, I think, a significant amount of time. Emily, you got something else? Yeah, I was thinking back to the last episode. So is anyone keeping track on what's going on with Mars and Edgar's and that telepath thing they were smuggling last episode? Like, is anyone keeping track of what's happening with that? Or are they just kind of not worried about it right now? Yeah, they're not going to answer that question, Emily. Yeah, and where's Bester? Because <laughs> I feel like we haven't had any Bester fuckery for a while, and um, it'd be nice for him to show up. We'll go ahead and end it there for our newbies. For those who haven't joined us before, we will have our end credits, and then Mike, Kevin, and I will come back to discuss all of these questions and predictions. And then next week, we will be back here with the newbies and everyone else to talk about moments of transition. So we will be back here next week to do that. And again, reminder to click all the buttons, like, subscribe, follow, as well as check out our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. The newbies are really active. All of us are really active on our Facebook. And then uh, the first ones are fairly active on the Twitters. And then if you can, join our Patreon. We do have our Discord with both a general conversation and a spoiler conversation thread. So we will chat with you there or chat with you next week. Until then, I have been Scott, and with me has been... Emily. Mike. Kevin. And I'm Justin. And fuck Nerun. Exactly. No, don't. I still kind of like him. Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to and watch this podcast at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast or youtube.com at gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so join the conversation at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or Patreon. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review where you are listening to or watching this podcast. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and the podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. What's up with Veer? Welcome back to Beyond the Rim again. This is a spoiler section, so if you have not watched past this episode, or if you have, don't remember what happens in this episode or after this episode, please uh, leave now and come back next week. And if not, we'll go ahead and dive into the questions and predictions from Emily and Justin. And the first one I wanted to hit on, guys, is Justin does want more Rebu and Zudi, and so I'm looking forward to season five to see what Justin feels about Penn and Teller because they um, are. And I'm going to remind you, you're saying that you're looking forward to season five. Hey, that's actually one of the better episodes. That's the episode written by Neil Gaiman. You're right, it is. And I'm going to hold out hope for season five. Season one was better for me. We'll see. We got our only sex scene of B5 with Byron. Uh
So, okay, so I'm looking forward to seeing if uh, Justin remembers Rebo and Zudian. The great Penn and Teller. He likes Penn and Teller. We'll see. The first question we had is, has Veer's fiance corrupted him? No. No. If anything, if they are together, which we have no proof of one way or the other, but if anything, my guess is she would probably get uh, changed in that, in that situation more than he would. Yeah. Veer's going to be doing the corrupting. He'll, he'll, he even said so at the end of that episode is uh, I I hope to help her see the uh, evil of her ways or whatever he said. So, (laughs) Hey, not the first Nazi you wanted to screw in B5. Remember there was a blonde too. Then Justin asks, can we get a welfare check on Veer? And you will do absolutely that. In two episodes, Veer will be on No Surrender, No Retreat, and he'll wake up from a nightmare. So it'd be great. (laughs) (laughs) And then the next question, will Lanier be the one to take out Naroon? Well, about that, guys. (laughs) Naroon is going to take out Naroon. Kevin and I were chatting on the side as the newbies were dogging on Naroon left and right about how he's a dick and how he's a traitor and how he's screwed him all over. Like, uh, no, you're good. No, that's not what's happening here. You know, at this point, doesn't Naroon plan on being a treacherous bastard? You know, I had that conversation. I, I, I reviewed the next week's episode with another podcast um, about a month ago, maybe two months ago. And we were having that very same conversation. I believe that Naroon is like Schrodinger's cat. You know, he could go either way until about midway through next week's episode. Other people say that, no, this is part of Delenn's and his plan the entire time. He is mm-hmm. getting the, he's getting the leader of the warrior cast out in the open so they can do what they want to do. But I don't know. I'll, I'll be interesting after we watch the next week's episode again to see what they think. But I, I don't with know. Everything, with everything that's gone on, I, I was actually shocked that nobody jumped to that conclusion. They really never, they didn't speculate any mm-hmm. any conclusions other than Nehrun backstabbed Delenn. You know, yeah. I, I thought for sure Justin or somebody would be like, ah, ha, ha, ha. The closest we got to is Justin asking if the attack was staged or not. That's it. the next question. Yeah. And uh, to be honest, we don't know, do we? <laughs> but that was more about is Nehrun a treacherous bastard than it is, oh, well, you know, that was all conceived by him and Delenn. I don't think he's even thinking that at this point, yeah. which I I agree with you scott is a real possibility but i i'm i'm of the thinking that he was planning on being a treacherous you know uh bastard until he decided not to be yeah because there's that one scene next week and uh i haven't watched in a few months so uh i'll be more less vague next week but he goes to the leader of the warrior cast and starts talking about how there may be a path to peace that doesn't include wiping everybody out. And the warrior cast uh, leader says, no, we got to be very fast and we got to take them out hard. And that way they don't come back for another thousand years. And so I think that's when Nehrun truly changes yes. and decides. But I can see it going both ways. I mean, he... Yeah. Throughout the episode until the very last second where he gets on his shuttle, it seems like he's on board with what Delenn's doing. So it could go either way. Yeah, and I'll have to do some research and find out if JMS has ever weighed in on that particular question. I'd be interested to see. I do think Nehrun, Kevin, is kind of your point saying he's one of your favorite you know, guest stars. I think he has one of the best arcs of any guest oh, yeah. star. Because we, we think he's, as we saw the night, we think he's an asshole the entire time. And he is. But at the end of the day... He does the ultimate sacrifice to save not only his people, the warrior cast, but to save 
all his people. It's a big move. And actually, I think you see it throughout the episodes we have Nehrun in. He starts to learn to trust. He, Through Marcus fighting him, he starts to realize, okay, these humans aren't all bad. He does the same thing with Sinclair back in season one. So, I mean, it, it's definitely a good arc of a character. Anything else on Nehrun? Not till next week. Yeah, there'll be some more in the room next week. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what's up with Mars, Edgars, and the telepaths? Oh, we'll be finding out soon enough on that one, too. Yes. Um, yeah, Garibaldi's going to be really into that shit pretty soon. Well, I think it's what, uh, three episodes from now, Garibaldi will head to Mars mm-hmm. and meet with Edgars. And so we'll have a lot more there. But the Edgars storyline really does stretch out to season five as well, too. So we'll get a lot more of that as we go. Well, and I'm looking forward to uh, Justin's reaction when we get to see Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. on the series. Because, uh, you know, for, for a lot of us who uh-huh. were 80s and 90s, he was he was Alfred on Batman the Animated Series and very underrated part of that series, I think. So hmm. I like him in this part, although unfortunately it is fairly short. Mm-hmm. When does Edgar's kick the bucket? It's season five, right? No. It's, oh, it's season four? It's this season. So I we're cleaning up the mess in season episodes. five. Yeah, other other than his his voiceover work, which is in a couple other you know earlier episodes, I think he's only in one or two episodes in this, this season, and then he's done. It always amazes me how compressed season four is, and we all know why it's compressed, because they thought this was the end. But it always amazes me how fast this thing moves in the next few episodes. And then finally, when will Bester be back? He'll be back next week. In moments of transition, he's the B-plot. Soon. Yes. And then he'll really be back with a vengeance when we get to the face of the enemy, which is coming up in a few episodes as well, too. That is really going to blow the, the newbies' minds. I'm still surprised that Justin, to this day, thinks that yeah. Bester, Bester's being Bester, but he's not involved in the Garibaldi plot. So it's, it's going to be fun to see. I think he's going to kick himself and go, yeah, I should have seen that. Yeah. <laughs> and moving on to predictions, we've got... This is the beginning of the fleet to go against Clark. And the answer is no, but kind of. I mean, they're going to be the protective fleet. Exactly. You know, Sheridan is able to take the White Star fleet and anything that is left over from the the Earth forces that crossed over and take them back. And the League of Non-Aligned Worlds and anything else is going to be the the fleet that will protect B-5 and any other area that might be... And reclaim territory as well, too, because they will protect Proxima after they True, take Proxima. Yes. True. Yeah, it's uh, and, you know, the, as much as I dog on Sheridan and his strategic powers, that's a very smart move. He knows that Clark has been spending years telling people that the aliens are coming to get you. So he makes very clear that this is a human fleet coming after you, not an alien fleet. Yeah, except he's using white stars. Which... Eh, detail. But then Clark pulls out the uh, uh, human carriers with shadow tech. So sure. I mean, sure. Yeah, I don't know how that would have gone with uh, some folks when you know alien fleets are left to protect Proxima 3 and stuff. But my guess is at that point, they wouldn't be too choosy. At that point, they're watching this fleet continue to move forward and not worrying about what's been lost, but what's still ahead, I think, at that point. Centauri and Narn will end up fighting side by side against Clark. Same Uh, idea. I got to I got to dog Justin a little bit here. Uh, Yeah, there there is no Narn fleet left to to do much fighting. That's true. (laughs) Yeah, they are. They're basically back to the Stone Age at this point, unfortunately. Yeah. And also, too, as we just said, uh, there's not going to be any really true alien presence in the attack except for Vorlon tech. We will see 
next uh, couple weeks and next year, maybe next this week, is we will see that Londo will try to get uh, Jakar to join in with the the work that he's doing with Sheridan to kind of bolster up the defense mechanism. But that's really about as far as it goes. Tough sell. I won't sign on the same page as you, bud. Yeah. Yeah. And the warrior cast is going to win the Civil War and Delenn will be out on her own with Lanier ostracized from her people. Nope. Nope. Delenn will be ready to sacrifice herself to end this thing next week. But again, Nairun will fix it for her. And then she gives up her power to give it over to a new great council with the workers having the uh, majority. majority. Yep. Which, even in this episode, the workers' cast get no mention at all. They're just watching all this shit happen. (laughs) Which is, you know, there's a conversation online. It's like, and we've had this conversation here, for sure. Did JMS even think about the worker cast in season one? Well, regardless, the Mimbari didn't think about the worker cast until next week's episode. So, (laughs) Anything else you guys want to talk about with this episode before we move on? Before we no transition one, to a moment, no, maybe? No one predicted or speculated that we might end up with Emperor Lanier. I'm just, I'm shocked. I, I think we, when we did the prediction stuff, there was some talks about, but you're right. It hasn't, hasn't come up in a long while. And we still got a good almost season before we get Emperor Lando because yeah. we, we'll have the regent for a while. Yeah. Well, ish. Yeah. Like, was he really running anything or was he just <laughs> drunk all the time? He's, he's, the poor guy's got puppet masters in two different directions. One arm's being drugged by the Drock and the other one's being drugged by Londo. It's great. But yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I, I think it's also too, because Veer has been off the play, uh, the playing board for a while. And I'm people tell me in the comments if I'm mistaken, but I'm 99% sure this was the season where Stephen first went off and did some of his own stuff for a while. And that's why they, they didn't have him show up much. It was either this season or maybe season three, but I think it was right now, but he will be back next week. So we'll get that. So guys, until next week, again, reminder to click all the buttons and please join us on our social medias. And we really do appreciate all the help you're uh, giving us to help grow this channel. So please, please, please leave reviews. And as I mentioned at the front end, the YouTube algorithm is kicking our ass right now. It really is. So if you can comment, like, share, click that notify button on the YouTube side of things, that would really help us a lot. I appreciate it. And we'll be back with you next week to talk about moments of transition. Until then, I've been Scott, and with me has been... Mike. And Kevin. And uh, have a good one. See ya. Bye. Clicky, clicky. Zooty, zoot, zoot. I'm sorry. I apparently mistook you for a human with some taste and sensibility. Zooty, zoot, zoot.